Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hey, it's State of State. We got your Nittany Line update. It's a football discussion with Tom and Justin. So kick back and press play. With former Penn State and NFL defensive back Justin King, I'm Tom Hannafin. This is State of State. This podcast is presented by Bet Online. The NFL playoffs are underway, plus, the NBA, the NHL, combat sports, and more are in full swing. Bet Online has you covered with all the up to the second odds, news, and scores. Head to Bet Online today and remember to use our promo code BELIEVE, that's B L E A V, for a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. State of State is presented by Bet Online, where the game starts. State of State is a proud supporter of Blue White Outfitters. Blue White Outfitters was created as a retail shop meant to highlight the confidence, competitiveness, and fearlessness of the elite athletes found throughout the history of Penn State University. Check out their Lockdown U and Lawn Boys merchandise today. All sales from Blue White Outfitters directly benefit Penn State student-athletes. Visit www.bluewhiteoutfitters.com today. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another edition of State of State. I'm Tom Hannafin. He's Justin King. He's had COVID for the last few days, so everybody be nice to him in general. He's just trying to get his wits about him. He's not even wearing Blue White Outfitters merchandise today. Like, that's how down he is, man. But Justin King is going strong, and so are we. Uh, Thank you for liking, commenting, subscribing, turning on notifications, and rating us. And, of course, follow us all over social media on X, Instagram, and TikTok at State of State Pod. Justin, we are talking about all things going on with the Penn State transfer portal window for the winter. It is now closed, so we're going to go through who's in, who's out. Some names you know about, some names might have slipped through the cracks, so we're going to go through who's into the program, who's part of the program, and what all these landing spots mean for everybody involved. But I want to start off, Justin, with some movement in regard to the Penn State coaching staff. Mark Dupuis is returning to the program as an offensive analyst. He spent the last four seasons under uh, Ricky Ronnie at Old Dominion as the wide receivers coach. And you know Dupuis very well from his time as a graduate assistant with a part of the Penn State football program from 2017 to 2019. Uh, We know James Franklin loves his big coaching staff, loves his analysts. Uh, What do you think of Mark Dupuis? I'm a, I'm a fan of Mark's. I mean, I'm happy he's coming back to Penn State. He's somebody that even as a, a GA did a good job where he, he was given more responsibilities. I mean, it was a time through um, just transition with the receivers coaches. So I remember him helping out with the receivers, but he always did a good job on the recruiting trail, identifying guys, was always open-minded to hearing different things. You know, sometimes as GAs, they're trying to make their make their mark, right? And so sometimes they get overzealous about something and try to show it. He was always somebody that kind of fit within the structure of the organization and provide a value where he could. And I mean, again, very energetic, confident, confident coach has a bright future. The interesting thing for a lot of people, obviously, when Mike Yursich was fired by the program, Mike Yursich was also the quarterback's coach simultaneously. Danny O'Brien basically stepped into that role once Yursich was released and has been kind of the de facto quarterback's coach. He's an offensive analyst as well. Um, do you expect Danny O'Brien to potentially just kind of get tabbed as, yep, you're the quarterback's coach? I mean, the way that the guys ended the end, ended the season, I would think that he kind of made a, a mark on, you know, solidifying that position for himself. I don't think James brings in another 
quarterback coach per se. And like you do need um, a quarterback coach, whether that's outside of the offensive coordinator that's dealing with the quarterbacks or working in tandem. So, I mean, I think it would be a good nod to give them that opportunity, but you never know moving forward. Uh, in regards to the offensive side of the ball with uh, coaches, offensive analyst Bill Queesert has followed Andy Kotel-Mickey from Kansas, so he will be a part of the offensive staff. So again, there's some new players in the building in regards to offensive analysts, where they could wind up, time will tell in general. Uh, one departure from the program's coaching staff that fans will certainly know is Calvin Lowry spent one season with the team uh, as an analyst. Not entirely sure what he's off to next at the time we're recording this. This is pretty fresh news. So uh, not necessarily an earth-shattering thing, uh, Justin, in terms of the overall stability of the program. But who doesn't love Calvin Lowry in terms of just being a legend within the program? Absolutely. Calvin was a senior when I got there as a freshman, one of the leaders on the team. And I mean, he's had his own receiver room before. So I would assume that he's open or getting another job somewhere else that just hasn't been announced. That's what I'm assuming, but you never know. Um, but it's, it's, it's tough to see him go, but it's always cool for Letterman to come back. And I guess I would say like serve their time at Penn state and on the other side as a coach. So, I mean, I, I, the couple games that I went to this week, uh, this past season, I actually was on the sideline with him. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? So it's like pretty cool. Always loved Cal. He, he was yeah. a monster back in the day. Uh, speaking of other coaches, uh, Justin Lustig has been installed as the special teams coordinator after Stacy Collins spent one season with the program. He's going back to Boise State from whence he came. Uh, Lustig, who spent time at Vanderbilt, was up for the Royals Award at one point, so it was a good resume. Uh, I don't believe there's any overlap in regards to those of you thinking, oh, well, James was with Vanderbilt. I think it's much more recent than that. But still, it's like, hey, you know, James hopefully knows some people down there still and was like, he any good? Cool. Let, let's sign the guy up. But I don't know if you know anything, Justin, about Justin Lustig. Not too much besides just the Broyles Award. I mean, I understood that they had he had a, a nice like track record. But it's funny that you say that because in Nashville, James's name rings bells because of what he did at Vanderbilt. He's a somewhat of a celebrity. Anytime I go to Nashville, people talk about and I say I'm Penn State. They're like, oh, you took our coach. You took our coach. That's <laughs> always comes up anytime I'm in Nashville. So I mean, I'm sure that he got the word that that's a good replacement. It's interesting that um, Stacy came and went back to Boise State, but I think it's a nice replacement. I've said it here before. I think one of James's strongest attributes as a head coach is being able to hire and put a staff together. Um, he's been able to do that. I mean, I think at this point now he has like seven head coaches that has worked underneath him. Mm -hmm. uh, we can probably go through it. I mean, Joe Moorhead, uh, Ricky Ronnie. Mm -hmm. um, Brent Pry. Grand Prize and Ken uh, Wisenhut. That was a big one. Ken Wisenhut, and but I mean, what's over at Marshall? Um, Huff, Huff mm -hmm. over at Marshall. I said Ricky Ronnie already. Um, Manny Diaz no, now. Yeah. Manny Diaz now. I mean, Joe. Moore, yeah. I mean, there's like I, I want to say there's seven. I can't think of them. My mind's kind of cloudy. But that's <laughs> you like have every that's reason like, to be that, cloudy. That, but that that's a, that's like a very very underrated thing for a leader of an organization to put that type of talent in the coaching sphere together and be able to operate. So, I mean, even though I don't know too much about Ludwig, I mean, I think he'll be a, a nice replacement. Lustig, L-U-S-T-I-G. Lustig, Lustig, yeah, Lustig. It's okay. It's the COVID talking. You're, you'll you'll yeah, you bounce know. back at some point. <laughs> <laughs> um, some more information on Mark Dupuis since that was a bit of a headline. Uh, graduated from UConn in 2011. 
uh, has been mostly working with wide receivers through his career. He began at Bates College, went to Penn State, as I mentioned, as a GA, four seasons at Fordham as a wide receiver coach, and then working underneath Ricky Ronnie at Old Dominion uh, for a number of years as a wide receiver coach. Uh, Dupuy was uh, Ricky Ronnie's first hire. So obviously similar circles altogether. Never a problem. It's always good to have that familiarity. The brotherhood of coaching. That's exactly how it operates, right? You get into that fraternity. Some of them I think in, in the business was like Urban, the Urban Meyer family. So that used to have like an underground thing where you came from Urban Meyer's tree and you get a job offer from someone else outside of the Urban Meyer tree. You couldn't take that job offer um, from like if someone within the Urban Meyer tree offered you a job versus someone outside. If you took that job outside, you weren't allowed back in. So it gets real territorial about how different things move. And Mike Yersich was a part of that at one point. Well, it's, some people will call it the good old boys club. And then there's other people where it's like, well, if you know the person is good and they can do the job, make it an easy search. So it's because in, in coaching, man, it comes down. To, it really does come down to trust, right? Whether it's someone, that, a, a coach that betrays you or anything like anything of that nature. That's the part of coaching that's very interesting is that you're right. That trust factor is incredibly important. So it's like you want to earn that trust first. And it's like that trust to be able to do the job and that they're going to be able to, you know, hold up their end of the bargain. Because, I mean, one bad hire can ruin a whole organization. Mm -hmm. Very true. Let's get to what Penn State did within the 2024 winter transfer portal window that just closed within the last few days. So hopefully that means like we're not going to have to do like 30 emergency podcasts because somebody hopped up in the in the transfer portal or anything. It's like it's a little quieter for right now. Obviously, the recruiting side of things is continuous. Second signing day is on the horizon. But I want to walk through the transfers out of the program first. I know a lot of people, the first person they can think of is Dante Cephas, who to some people is public enemy number one, but to some people it's like, hey, this just wasn't a good fit altogether. Dante Cephas is in the transfer portal at the time we're recording this. 24-7 sports has him, quote, crystal balled to Kansas State, basically meaning that it's pretty well expected that he's going to Manhattan, Kansas. What do you think about, about that fit if that actually materializes? Kansas State. I'm, I don't know too much about Kansas State, but man, that's in the middle of nowhere. But and then like, <laughs> but I mean, the middle of country. so is State College. Like, let's be real yeah, honest we, with ourselves. But we can we, we can at least get to New York and four. That's five, true. Five. We can get to Pittsburgh, and too, DC, the electric too. city, baby. Oh man, you know what I'm saying. So there's 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 ways of getting around that part. I don't think State College, Manhattan, Kansas, is in the middle of nowhere. Fair. Like yeah, literally, I, the middle of the country. It is. But I don't think actually. I don't think Penn State was probably the great best fit for him coming in to begin with. I mean, whether it was a fit coming out of high school or now, because there's like a lot of different things that you have to bring to the table when you go to Penn State. We talk about coaches having to have trust. There's other elements that you have to perform when you get to Penn State, whether there's like a lot of standards that you have to uphold before you can prove yourself to get on. And that's not the case at every program. And some players fit better with less structure. Some players fit better with more. And it's just, you know, each his own. But I think there's more one way to skin a cat. So hopefully he finds his opportunity at Kansas State and make something happen. I will say this about Kansas State. Their incumbent quarterback going into next season, Avery Johnson, who is a true freshman, is 
is a very special talent. I can do a lot with his legs, is maturing as a passer, an electric athlete. And there's a lot of people that follow Kansas State and the Big 12 altogether that were saying one of the reasons why Will Howard left Kansas State was, yeah, obviously going on to greener pastures, hopefully trying to make a little bit more money in NIL. He's going to Ohio State. He's going to be fine in the grand scheme of things. Very curious to see how that plays out for the Big Ten in 2024. But the Avery Johnson kid is very, very talented. So if you add Dante Cephas to that and he hopefully is motivated going into the situation, maybe it's a good fit. We'll have to wait and see. Again, that's just crystal balled for right now. Those crystal balls, I mean, they're 50% sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. You never know. Never know. Uh, but that speaking, does seem like a good fit with a new quarterback, him going out there, because I think he will be motivated. It's kind of tough having 1,000-yard season, getting hurt one time, and you move up and take your roll of dice at a bigger school like Penn State, and it comes out as essentially a failure, right? As any competitor, I probably, he probably feels like, oh, that didn't work out. I, I didn't live up to what I was supposed to do. So I'm sure he's going to be motivated to come back out and have a rise his dra- bring his draft stock up back to where it once was. And athletically, it's not that he can't hang at the power five level. It's it's a neck up thing. So if this didn't work out at Penn State, you better make it work at Kansas State. So absolutely. We'll see if that materializes completely. Speaking of wide receivers that went into the transfer portal, Christian Driver, the son of Green Bay Packers legend Donald Driver, went into the transfer portal as of December 4th. He committed to the Minnesota Golden Gophers. Christian was still very much a work in progress when he came to Penn State. And that, Justin, if I have it correct, I think he came in as a defensive back and was confirmed as a wide receiver. Or do I have that backwards? Not sure. I know his da- I used to work out with his dad in Dallas, uh, Donald Driver, but I know his dad was a receiver, right? He used to play against him for the Packers, a very, very good receiver. But I always, I just I think I assumed that he was a receiver, to be completely honest. So I'm not even sure about him coming in as a defensive back or not, because they've always been pretty loaded um, on that back end, lockdown you. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's interesting to see him leave, but it's the name of the game today. Minnesota is an interesting landing spot, not necessarily that it's uh, a loaded wide receiver room night right now, but Ethan Kaliak Manis, the incumbent starter, hopped in the transfer portal. So kind of wide open for PJ Fleck and company who continue to have success in the postseason. But I think this is just me. I, I don't think the PJ Fleck shtick works beyond a certain level that row the boat stuff. I just find it very, very hollow. It's very me, me, me. It's very used car salesman. And it's not to say that Minnesota is a bad program or even a low program, but in the grand scheme of college football, if you're on the outside looking into the top 25 and PJ Fleck is coming to you with like, oh, we put oars on our helmets and stuff like that. I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> it's interesting that you say that because I think that's like comes down to expectations of ecosystems, right? Whether it's a Minnesota, whether it's a Texas A&M, Alabama, it comes down to what are the fans and the supporters expecting? Some schools like a Northwestern are expecting eight wins. Everyone's happy. You see at Penn State, 10 wins, 11 wins, three losses. We're pissed off, right? Ohio State, they lose two games. They tear everything down, fire everybody. So it always comes down to that expectation. So with that being said, I don't know if that row the boat works at a top tier school. But at Minnesota, it has been, it has proven to work for what he's been doing, right? To get the eight, nine wins and be a competitive football team. And that's always really interesting when you look at different programs. Like, 
is there alignment in the expectations and the productivity? Because that's kind of how you should chart your path or you chart your strategy to hit your goals. Mm-hmm. Also confirmed uh, a transfer within the Penn State program. This was back in December. Alex Pachetta, uh, punter, is off to Rice. Uh, honestly, at that position, it really almost doesn't matter what program you go to. If you are a good punter, kicker, special teams guy, the league will find you. In your experience, when you've worked in the XFL or even Penn State's recruiting staff or anything like that, what is that like from the pro level looking at those specialist positions? I mean, it's probably the most analytical, evaluated position, period, right? You're just talking about how long the hang time is, like how long someone's punting the ball. And they're, and punters are like true weapons. Punters, kickers, like like true weapons. When we get down to kickers and how long it, it takes to get the kickoff, you're, you're, you're timing up blitzes. Everything comes from like more of an analytical space. So it's very interesting when you go into the evaluation of different specialists and then you start to really value the good ones, right? When I was at Penn State, I mean, Blake Gilligan was there and it was just like. Mm, he was excellent. I mean, exactly. Right. And there was a lot of times where like he literally switched the field, you know, 70 yards. And it's just like you don't really pay attention to that. Maybe sometimes a casual fan misses it. Oh, that's just a punter. Or even someone like, I mean, like a Pat McAfee playing against him in high school or just even um, the just just the, the value that a, uh, automatic kicker has and a, a booming punter that they bring to your football team. I think that's something that you can always continue to upgrade and you have to evaluate them in a very meticulous way. Bichetta came in and just uh, lost out on the competition overall at punter. So no shame in that. There are a bunch of people in the mix for that. He initially was recruited in 2019-2020 through 2021 by the likes of Auburn, Duke, Clemson, Virginia, and Arkansas. So didn't exactly uh, have trouble finding attention. Going to Rice, Smaller school, completely understand, but I almost don't even, you know, have much of a comment on it beyond like, yeah, if he's getting the chance to be the starting punter there, then you're the starting punter and you're one of, you know, a hundred some odd jobs that scouts get to look at. Punters are like, it's like track and field, right? Like you can go to whatever school, but the time is the time. And that's what people say, like, okay, this is the thing that they have. Like if you have a crazy hang time and your net average is X amount, like you said, you'll be found. And that's, I mean, it's it's a benefit to different teams, right? Like that's something that they need to have. And I mean, him moving to Rice is a, is a good move for him. Yeah. Uh, another uh, Penn State player into the portal. We've talked about this before, but Jake Wilson, special teams, uh, not special teams, excuse me, D squad, developmental squad, uh, practice squad, quote unquote, star for four years. Did everything that was asked of him. I believe one defensive uh, star of the year on the D squad this past year. Entered the transfer portal with two years of eligibility left. He got his degree from Penn State. Uh, we've talked about him before. This is one of the bright spots of the transfer portal, in my opinion, is a dude who walked on, worked hard, did everything the program asked of him. Now he's looking for some place where he can put more of his game on tape. So uh, still waiting to see where he winds up. Uh, somebody else that hopped in the portal, uh, Ibrahim Traore, offensive tackle, uh, he jumped in on January 9th, still does not have a, a home. You and I haven't talked about Ibrahim at all. We haven't. Um, I, I actually don't know too much about him in the sense of why he jumped into the portal, right? Mm-hmm. Like, or that whole situation and like why he left. Because, I mean, the portals, the wild, wild west or the open sea, to be, to be completely honest. If you're not a very 
highly valued player or just an outlier that's demanding some type of cash. It really is a roll of the dice when you jump in there. So he might have got caught in that crossfire. Yeah. Uh, in terms of the players that Penn State has landed in the transfer portal, I think a lot of those names are pretty well known. So I want to start with two guys that you might not really know or it slipped under the radar. Uh, Jordan Mayer is an edge player. He will be a walk-on at Penn State. He comes from the University of Wisconsin. You and I texted about this briefly in that you know, me as the, the 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 fan on the outside looks at this and I'm like, man, you know, if you enter the transfer portal and somebody's offering you a scholarship and then there's a place like Penn State that is a bigger blue blood brand, but they're like, hey, we can't offer you a scholarship. You have to weigh your options to a degree. And that's the challenging part of NIL is that it's like, oh, well, you're not offering me a scholarship or you're not offering me any money or something like that. It It, it makes a very tough decision. But for him to go from Wisconsin, again, a solid program within the Big Ten to Penn State and looking to prove himself and work into, you know, the rotation. Who knows if he's going to make any sort of dent into the starting rotation? I, I honestly don't expect that. But the, the decisions that these young people have to make now are so much more complicated because of NIL, because of the transfer portal. And I'd say complicated in a good way and that there's just more options out there. Yeah, because it comes down, it comes comes down to what you value, right? Because some some families, some parents, like even some of my clients, like they want to go to a bigger school or a educational institute that they can like lay their hat on, and they're okay with paying the go versus taking a scholarship, or let's say like a like a football school, right, where it's not known for academics, but they're just like you know, I can't even say like a major school, but I'm not gonna call any schools out, <laughs> but uh, essentially. <clears throat> Essentially, a lot more athletes are deciding to whether it's pay their way to go to school and walk on for the opportunity to get that scholarship somewhere else after because, like, okay, you prove yourself at a place like Penn State or you prove yourself at a, at a Power 5 university and then you got the Ivies and these different schools that are now recruiting from like the reserves at these big schools that kind of transfer down. And then you go to like a school like a, a Yale or something like that and you're on scholarship. So you really never know just the, the route, the avenue of development with a lot of these players, but it comes down to what they, I mean, what they value and how they can set themselves up to win. Because I had, I don't know how everyone decides it, right? Everyone's, again, what they value is different, but ones that want to play football, they want sometimes want to be at a bigger school. Sometimes they want to be in the alumni association, make the different connections. It's like, I'm going to take full advantage of this college experience. Other ones are like, hey, I'm going to use this school to pivot and bounce and go to another school. And so it's it's very interesting. The thing there where I think these young people get confused is when they don't have a plan and it's just kind of going out and it's just like emotional, like, oh, this person's hitting me up or I can go play in front of 110,000 people. Like that's that's not the reason, right? Like it's, you can see yourself developing here. You can see like the residual impact of you going to the school. And when you can see past some of these initial, I want to say initial treats or whatever, just like prolong the, uh, the, uh, the rewards, I would say, I mean, you can really set yourself up in different areas in this football game. So where, you know, cause your, your goal is to be the best that you can be at 22, not necessarily 18, not 19, but, 21, 22, like whatever you can do within that path. And now that it's opened up to where you can kind of devise your plan, it's interesting, but have a plan is what it comes down to. Yeah, you make a very good point. 
another transfer portal acquisition. Kicker Chase Meyer comes from Tulsa. This could be good timing altogether. Alex Falcons is off to the National Football League. Riley Thompson at punter is sticking around for a few more years. So an opportunity to compete. I think that's pretty much what Penn State pitches to you in the transfer portal is, yeah, like looking at a guy like Julian Fleming, you could very well come in and be the number one wide receiver, but you're going to have to compete for it. And I think that's what Chase Meyer is getting here. Sure. I mean, that's the, I mean, core, one of the core values at Penn State, right? I think competing is number one. And that is pushed to recruits. That's pushed through the offseason. We talk about camps. I think they're one of the few programs that still have probably 90% plus players that they sign come to camp and actually compete. It's almost like a prerequisite to see, like, what are we actually dealing with? Is this person just happy to get the offer? Is this person willing to still compete? And so it always brings me back to when I'm dealing with families or not wanting to go to camp or for whatever reason, I just tell them, like, you know, Michael Parsons was like top three, four player in the country, like when it was over. And his senior year, he would come to camp looking to embarrass people. Like that was like his thing. And like, and so like that, if that's the standard that this staff has seen mm-hmm. from successful people and you can kind of go through, I got a track list of guys that didn't come to camp and we end up still taking them and they end up transferring out because we kind of let things slide. And so I think that's a prerequisite trying to figure out like what is the competitive nature of this individual. And sure. to do that, you have to sell that. And it's like if the ones that don't want to compete, they'll probably turn the other way and go somewhere else. <laughs> Welcome to Penn State, Chase. Uh, <laughs> let's, uh, so let's go through the big four that everybody's been talking about. I want to start with Nolan Rucci, offensive tackle coming from Wisconsin to Penn State. He is a legacy. His father, Todd Rucci, playing once upon a time at Penn State to great success. Uh, speaking of players that you know nobody's getting handed anything, however, there is this external expectation that he could land in one of the starting tackle spots. A lot of people have pointed a right tackle. And frankly, the offensive line for Penn State is really interesting going into 2024 in that I think this year there's a lot of comfort and there's some familiarity. You had, obviously, Olu Fashionu at left tackle. You felt awesome about that. Uh, then at left guard, you came into the season with Landon Tangwall. Unfortunately, he had to medically retire from football, so that was a huge blow. I don't think people realize that enough in terms of the way this offensive line performed. Not that it was horrible in 2023, but still what could have been had Landon been able to play and play for multiple years, what he could have blossomed into. So that's unfortunate, but we as friends of Landon has been on the show before. We're just glad he has his health, period. Absolutely. You got Hunter Norzad, transfer from the Ivy League, plugged him right in at center, did just fine. Then you get in uh, right guard, Sal Wormley, who had been out the season prior, was expected to be the starter, got the whole season to be the starter at right guard, and Caden Wallace at right tackle, certainly made some strides. Now it's like, okay, Fashion News off to the NFL, Norzad's off to the NFL, uh, Wallace is off to the NFL. So the guys that are coming back that are in the mix are Drew Shelton, J.B. Nelson, Vega Yuane, Nick Dawkins. Anthony Donko played a considerable amount uh, in the Peach Bowl and actually looked good at right tackle. And then you also Sal Wormley at right guard. So a lot of familiarity there. You throw Nolan Rucci into the mix, and Phil Troutwine has done an excellent job of recruiting young, promising offensive line talent. But still, it's... It's, it's a lot of, hey, everybody compete, and we'll see what we have in August and September. 
where do you see Rucci fitting in in the grand scheme of things? I think he's a player that you bring in. We bring in a tackle like that as a former five star, especially coming from Wisconsin. Like you do bring him in to kind of plug and play. And I have a funny story because we were actually, when I was there, we, were, we weren't recruiting him. We were recruiting his older brother. So he has an older brother that plays tight end that I think he's going to Wisconsin. Hayden Rucci, yes. So he was like the little brother that was coming up, probably like three, four years younger. He might have been seventh and eighth grade. And we just look at him like, dude, this dude's a monster. Like, who's that kid? Like, your brother, right? Because he was, he was, his brother was a bubble guy for us. Mm. I mean, we ended up taking Pat Frymuth that year. So I mean, we took the right. All's well that ends well, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, and Zach Coots, who ended up going to the NFL as well. But um, so. When you look at that, and we remember taking him in when he was at camp, just walking around with the little brother, like, hey, man, come over here. Let me, let me get your measurements real quick. And I remember him being like seventh or eighth grade, being like 6'4", like 275 or 6'5", 275. He was like a seventh and eighth grade. I was like, hey, man, I don't know if we're going to do with the older brother, but the younger brother, we need to turn the heat up now. He was like an eighth grade. So it's funny to see the whole thing come, come to circle and him go to Wisconsin and then transfer back to Penn State. So. Pretty cool. So I'm expecting him to step in and play. Hmm. I had a chance to play with his brother for a little while at Wisconsin. So like that type of bond, that's special. I, I think that's sure. really cool that he got to do that. Uh, but yeah. now going to Penn State, it just feels right. And you talk about that evaluation from a few years ago. It feels promising. And you say he's a legacy as well. So he's like coming to a school where his, his dad and I won't say dad and mom went there, to be honest. I don't know about the mom off the top of my head. You might have to. I want to say she. I want to play. She. I want to say she played field hockey. I want to say they both did. You, I mean, most, you, most, most, you, most. You, you look it up, and I'm going to dive into the next guy. Yeah, you got it. Pretty <laughs> um, percent sure, but go ahead. <laughs> um, obviously, the hood ornament, I guess you could call for this transfer portal class here in the winter, is wide receiver Julian Fleming coming from Ohio State to Penn State. Uh, there was so much talk about Julian Fleming coming to Penn State in the first place during this transfer portal season. At one point, it looked like he might go to Nebraska because Kyle McCord looked like he might go to Nebraska. So some flirtation there. Things changed at Nebraska. Obviously, they got Dylan Rayola, who is legacy ties to the University of Nebraska, flipped him from Georgia. Then Kyle McCord was off to Syracuse. So that kind of left uh Uh, Julian Fleming with a decision to make, not saying that he was locked in on Nebraska to begin with, but there were people suspecting he might become a Cornhusker. So he comes to Penn State now, and everybody's really excited about it. And kind of like you were just saying with Nolan Rucci, is that Nolan Rucci, there might be the expectations he's a plug-and-play. You're certainly going to plug-and-play Julian Fleming, but now it's like, okay, the top three wide receivers being Fleming, Wallace, and Keandre Lambert-Smith. It still feels like a competition to me, and it feel it still feels like, man, we've seen what the high end of Keandre can be, and it's like, man, like last time we were talking about it, oh, maybe he made the leap. People are saying he made the leap. Didn't make the leap in 2023. So it's like, man, if Keandre makes that leap and he makes it challenging for Julian Fleming in terms of the guy that's number one, not saying that Fleming is locked in to be number one, but hell, Trey Wallace, I would say, was the best wide receiver Penn State had in 2023. So... I like the fact that there's really no question of who the top three guys guys are because there was a question of who the number one guy is, and then two through six was a question last offseason and well into this season. No, I mean, I think you're right about it being an open competition. And with no one separating themselves from, from the pack, you have to come in and compete. I mean, we've seen what happened last year, 
how many receivers were able to go in throughout the season. Some guys played one one game, made a big play, never seen them again. And so there has to be some a level of consistency from these receivers. I mean, I, I think the coaching staff is trying to figure out who's going to step up and be those sure fire three receivers. So I think that's on the receiver room. I think that was what was pitched to Julian. It was like, hey, got opportunity to step in and, and make some plays. And to go back to what we were saying, yes, his mom, Stacy, was an All-American field hockey player at Penn State. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> we do our homework here. On <laughs> <laughs> no, but Fleming uh, getting the chance, like, I, I think it's probably, from the outside looking in, Justin, assumed he's the plug-and-play number one wide receiver, but you never know until you get into camp. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you would have thought that about Cephas a little bit, right, just based on the production. People were saying that during the summer that oh, right. it looks great, you know. Yeah, so you, I, 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 I don't know if you can say that about the receiver position because it's indicative of other things. Whether you're picking up the playbook, you're making plays. Like you have to have some confidence with the the quarterback and like the receivers coach when it comes down to that because we can see how quickly that trust dissipates, right? Like whether you don't understand the playbook, whether you're dropping balls, whatever, whatever that thing is at the receiver spot. There's just a lot of variables that go into it. So you expect them to get some run. But again, hopefully he steps in and makes the plays that we need him to make for everyone's sake. Veering to elsewhere in that wide receiver room, if I'm seeing Julian Fleming come in, the first person I'm thinking about is Omari Evans. Because if there's any wide receiver that seems to have a very good relationship on and off the field with quarterback Drew Aller, it's Omari Evans. And if there's anybody that should see Fleming come in and have a a fire lit underneath them, it should be Omari Evans, and it should be Caden Saunders, and it should be Malik McClain, transferred from Florida State last year. And hell, throw Liam Clifford into that mix of a guy who looked like a p- promising slot receiver in September and then just kind of faded out of the offense. Not, I, I don't even put that on Liam necessarily, just the way the offense struggled so much in the passing game. It, it almost didn't matter sometimes the guys you're rolling out there and very few of Penn State's wide receivers very little did they get separation enough to be consistent threats in the passing game. But looking at that small group, Justin, I'm thinking about Evans, Saunders, and McLean. What are you going to do now? Yeah, Evans is the one that I was referring to about making plays in one game and not seeing him again. Like, so it makes you question, like, all right, if you can come in and make plays, like, why aren't you in consistently? Mm-hmm. And I think that goes across the board, right? Whether you're, being, you're able to create separation, make those 50-50 catches, and we saw that later in the season, like you said, with um, Liam. I think a lot of the people in the Big Ten of our opponents started playing a lot more man against us. And then those those pure attributes or athletic attributes start to shine, right? Like that's what, I mean, not, makes me afraid of Julian Fleming, but that makes you just kind of like pause. It's like, all right, is he going to be able to create separation, be able to make the plays that we need him to make, or is he just going to be like another plug? I mean, another plug-and-play type of receiver where it's just like nothing special. If it's open, we're going to hit him. And I think we need more than just that, right? We need more than just a possession receiver. We need some playmakers on the outside to keep things honest, to help the running backs, to help Drew, to help everybody, to be completely honest. Like, our offense doesn't really operate without having some weapons on the outside. So hopefully these guys can step up, and they should have some fire lit under their butt because they're bringing in receivers. And, I mean, everyone's talking about, the weak spot on the team being receivers. And I see some of the tweets or whatever from the players. It's like, oh, people don't believe in us. It's like, yeah, until you prove and show some production, no, no one's going to believe in you. <laughs> uh, I will say it until September. 
2024 <laughs> is the prove it season period right. uh, rounding out the rest of the transfer portal window uh this transfer class for the 2024 winter transfer portal window uh we talked heavily about defensive backs aj harris and jalen kimber harris from georgia kimber from florida and georgia before that so we did an entire episode on those two guys so i guess my question more to you is harris and kimber now that this is rolling what are you hearing about the two of them from within the program i mean kind of the same things that i stated where you think of kimber as being someone that has a bona fide starter type of traits that you would expect him obviously got coming and compete but i would expect him to come out as a, one of the starting corners going into the season and aj harris i think it brings another another player with position flexibility to be able to do more things on the back end we talk about Coach Allen bringing in his his type of defense and having that bigger nickel to be able to move inside, play a little safety, play a little bit of corner and move things around. I think they bring a lot more diversity to the back end, losing um, uh, Johnny Dixon, Kalen King, and Day-Day Hardy, and having these two guys come in with like premier talent and just coming in and making plays, I think will be beneficial for the defense moving forward, especially with the, like, the way that um, Coach Allen runs his uh, – his defensive scheme. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's pretty much it for Penn State in regard to roster movement during the 2024 winter transfer portal window. So the window is closed for now, but it will reopen again in the spring, and I'm sure we'll have all sorts of other madness to deal with. Um, before we go, Justin, I do want to touch on something else within the Big Ten. Michigan head coach Jim Harbaugh has interviewed for the L.A. Chargers head coaching job. which is not abnormal. It's happened a few times where he's gone and done an interview. He's got a 10-year, I think $125 million contract kind of like sitting on his desk there at Michigan if he wants it. Uh, J.J. McCarthy is declared for the NFL draft, which I kind of thought was a hasty decision on his part. I think there's a lot more development that J.J. could probably afford. Now going into next season, no J.J., not to say that McCarthy was this transcendent quarterback, but obviously it played extremely well, just won a national championship. Alex Orgy, the backup, has tremendous athletic ability. They compare, they, they utilized him as the scout team quarterback getting ready for Jalen Milrow in Alabama. And they're like as eerily close to, to preparing for that type of athlete. Uh, you lose Blake Corum, but Donovan Edwards is back. So if Harbaugh is not back, I think that's the huge blow altogether. But it does feel like Michigan offensively is going to be different next year. And it does make me speculate about that top four, top five of the big 10 next year. Oregon has Dylan Gabriel and, um, oh gosh, who's the backup quarterback that they got from UCLA? Dante Moore, Dante Moore. Um, all this talent at quarterback, we know what Dan Lanning is capable of. He did not go to uh, to Alabama, sitting tight at Oregon. Washington has a lot of turnover right now. A lot of t- players jumped into the portal because of Kalen DeBoer going to Alabama. That's a big deal. Uh, Ohio State looks like they're loaded with offensive weapons, but is Will Howard this huge step up from what you're losing with Kyle McCord or what you have with Devin Brown? There's all these questions now. I'm like, if Harbaugh leaves, that's a huge domino to fall. How do you feel about that top? five and i'm including penn state in it, that top five of the big 10 in 2024 i mean i've said it before it's, it's going to be a slaughterhouse but it's going to be interesting if jim harbaugh leaves and goes to nfl because i think we'll see the same thing that happened to alabama we're just kind of ransacking the team everybody's kind of jump into the portal 
from from that standpoint. So it's just like a free for all of talent. But with that being said, the Big Ten is going to be one of the, the most dynamic conference in the country next year. I think with all these teams coming in there, just the type of football and like where the different schools are throughout the country, I think makes for very interesting matchups, right? Just from the stylistic of the of the fights or the of the games. Um, but I mean, Oregon coming in strong, UCLA's on like they're ramping up. We got U dub that played in the championship. We know what Ohio State is, we know what Michigan is, and we're still trying to figure out what we're going to be, right? As we're building on top of a 10 and 3 season. So with that being said, I mean it's a roll of the dice to see how it's going to come out, but I think there's going to be some pretty upset teams at the end of the year because someone has to come out fourth and fifth. And then inevitably somebody's going to be on the outside looking in when it goes uh, to the 12 team playoff for postseason play. So absolutely. <laughs> it's going to be challenging. Uh, thank you all so much for joining us again. Like, comment, subscribe, turn on notifications, rate us, follow us on X, Instagram, and TikTok at State of State Pod. Let us know in the comments section what you think about the Big Ten in 2024, Penn State's Hall and the transfer portal window for the winner, what they got, what they're losing, all that stuff. It's winter. It's freezing here in the Northeast. There's a snowstorm that I guess is never going to end. I guess we're living snow pierce of the real thing. So you might as well talk some football. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. And uh, stay warm. Thank you all so much for joining us. This episode and our entire library of shows is available now on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and wherever else you get your podcasts. Also, let us know what you think of the show on social media and check out all of our content on X, Instagram, and TikTok. Search for the handle at State of State Pod. State of State is presented by Bet Online and by Blue White Outfitters. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.